you are tuned into the podcast of Unglesby and Greenberg, Attorney at Law. This week, Melinda talks with Dr. Morrison about hernia mesh complications. Good morning, Dr. Morrison. Speaking. Good morning. This is Melinda Lim. I am an associate with the Unglesby Greenberg Law Firm. I work for Logan Greenberg, the partner here. Oh, very good. How are you doing this morning? Uh, very good, thank you. Very good, very good. Now, okay. what can I do for you guys? Um, okay, so we are, this podcast is meant for potential clients as well as our current clients who are involved in our hernia mesh lawsuits. So I kind okay. of just want to first get a little bit of background on you and then ask you a couple of questions about hernia mesh, the kinds of problems you've seen, um, and just kind of, you know, like what a... What a, per- a person who has hernia mesh, what kinds of symptoms that they possibly could see. Um, so my first question for you, I know that you are a member of the American Hernia Society as well as the European Hernia Society, and you're also a founding member of the Canadian Hernia Society and currently the president-elect. Just tell me a little bit about how you got to be I'm, in that position. I'm the current president of the Canadian Hernia Society. Oh, so sorry. Okay, so you're the current president of the Canadian yep. Hernia Society. So tell me a little bit about how um, you came to be in that position. Uh, well, I was one of the founders of it several years ago, about five years ago, with uh, two other colleagues. And uh, we have a board of directors, and I was elected two years ago. Okay, great. So, um... so that's, <laughs> that's how I ended up in this. Um, and I know that um, you have been one, you're one of the earliest surgeons to perform um, the laparoscopic hernia repair. Yeah, I was probably one of the first, in the, uh, certainly with some of the earliest in the world, I was probably the first in Canada doing this stuff. Okay, great. So I know... 1991. Oh, okay, great, 1991. And so I know that um, you've been seeing some problems with hernia mesh patients. What types of problems have you been seeing with these patients? I see patients with infection, I see patients with pain, and I see patients with the, with recurrent hernias. Okay, and which are, do you, would you say those are the most common problems with No, the no, no, mesh? the recurrences are not the most common. The most common okay. is pain and infection. Okay. Um, and what are the, like, common, do they occur with all types of hernias, or is it more with a specific kind of hernia that you this see? It can occur with all, excuse me, mm-hmm. all kinds of hernias. Um, you can get pain in any kind of hernia repair. You can have infection in any, after uh, following any operation, especially when a foreign material has been inserted. Mm-hmm. So you can get infection in anything that is a foreign body. Okay. And tell me, how long um, after the implantation of a hernia mesh does a patient start to experience problems? Like, is there a timeline? or nope. At no. any time. Okay. It can start on day one to day 1001. Okay. There's a foreign body in there, and it can become infected or show signs of infection, I should say. Okay. At any time after the operation, there is no timeline. There's no timeline. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it could be immediately after the surgery, but it could also be five years later. Someone years later, sees. Yes. Okay. Um, and what would that's you... Just, that's showing infection. Depending on where the mesh has been put and what kind of mesh mm-hmm. has been used and where and uh, what kind of hernia has been repaired. Okay. So could you... Is There's there... a whole lot of ifs, ands, and buts. Right. Is there like a typical kind of hernia case, like hernia mesh case that you see where infection develops first or the patient starts um, feeling pain first? Like, is there kind of like a, like a typical case or are these, these are all very unique? Actually, they're all over the map. Okay. Uh, 
in some cases immediately after the operation the patient may note redness and swelling and drainage from the incision. Mm-hmm. That does not necessarily mean that the mesh itself is infected. It could mean that the incision is infected mm-hmm. and it's treat, treated with antibiotics and it may clear up. Sometime later, they may get more drainage, which would indicate a deeper infection in the mesh. But these are not common okay. um, as problems go. In inguinal hernia repair, you're looking at about a 1% incidence of infection, wound infection following an operation, mm-hmm. which is not very high. Um, for the mesh to become infected, it's probably somewhere in that region overall in the long term. In abdominal wall hernias, it's a different story. Okay. In uh, abdominal wall hernias, you can have significantly greater infection and significantly greater numbers of recurrent hernias forming. Oh, so, I see. So we've got to talk about the different hernias because they all have different results. Oh, I see. Okay, so um, maybe can you explain like a little bit with that, um, with the different types of hernias and maybe why the abdominal hernias seem to be causing more infection issues? Um, well, the inguinal hernias are the commonest by far. Okay. Uh, somewhere around one million inguinal hernia repairs are carried out in North America a year, maybe a little bit more, mm-hmm. round numbers. Um of those, they can expect somewhere in the region of 1% to 2% of them to come back again, despite whatever repair is done, whether it's with or without mesh. Oh, okay. Uh, and a smaller number of those, a smaller percentage, to show infection sometime down the road. So it is not common. Oh, I see. But it is very unfortunate for the poor patient that happens to get it. Mm-hmm. But so you see, in a million, you know, when you do a million hernias, right? One percent of that's a thousand. Mm-hmm. That's a thousand people a year. Mm-hmm. That are somewhere between one and two thousand people a year will have recurrences, and a smaller number than that will get infection. But for the patient themselves, this is quite significant. Right, of course. Um, and we actually have clients who have side effects um, that stem from the hernia mesh, but they don't realize. Uh, from the beginning that the device is the cause of their problems. Is it generally obvious to your patients that the hernia mesh no. is the cause? Okay. They so, complain. Uh, the commonest thing I see is uh, people complaining of pain. Okay. Chronic pain. And chronic pain is defined as pain lasting longer than three months after your operation. Okay. Um, if that occurs, it all again, it's a grade of pain. Mm-hmm. Some people, if you put a a piece of paper down, divided and uh, divided up into one to ten divisions, and ask them to put their finger on where the pain occurs. Some people will put it on one, and some people will put it on ten. Right. So, pain is a very subjective thing, but mm-hmm. for the patient that suffers it, it is absolute, and these patients have to be looked after somehow that have significant, life-changing pain. And I see a lot of those people mm-hmm. that have gone from work to not being able to work to not being able to enjoy life. Right. Unfortunately, we do have um, patients who have like significant nerve damage um, and who also suffer from chronic pain um, and were treated for the, that pain, but did not realize that it was their mesh that was causing the pain the yeah. entire time. Well, there's, there's pains 
that arise from the nerves, and there's pain that's caused by the local irritation or local effect of the mesh itself. Neurogenic and nociceptive pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the neurogenic pain is often cleared up uh, with division of nerves or removal of the mesh. And um, similarly, with removal of the mesh, gets rid of this, some patients with nociceptive pain. But all patients, removing the mesh does not get rid of everybody's pain. Oh, it doesn't. Okay. Um, so even after removal, <laughs> patients can still have chronic pain issues? Some patients can have chronic pain issues. Somewhere around 60% of people are much improved. Okay. But the other 40% are not. There's some, you know, you get a grading of the improvement down to a few patients who actually may be worse at the end of the day. Oh, I see. Okay. And these, you know, this has to be put on the table for the patient. It's not a panacea for everything to remove the mesh. Mm -hmm. It will improve most patients. Mm -hmm. It will cure a whole lot of them. Mm -hmm. They'll have no more pain. But there are some people that will continue to have pain, and they must understand that before you do anything to them. Okay. And unfortunately, there is no way to predict or measure who mm. this is going to happen to. Right, especially because it seems like a lot of cases are fairly unique with the mesh. Um, t- that's right. Tell me, um, how many of these like corrective surgeries have you performed, and what sorts of complications have you been seeing? Uh, I do probably one of these a week. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, because I do other surgery as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, you know, we, I'm in Canada. We don't have the same access to operating room time as you, as my colleagues in the United States have. I have one day a week mm-hmm. of operating. So I do other stuff besides, I have to do other stuff besides hernia repairs. And um, so I do one, about one of these mesh removals a week. The patients by and large are improved. About 50% of them are much improved to better. Mm-hmm. And the other 50% are probably not as happy as some. And some of them have no difference at all. Okay. So you've got to be very choosy on the patients that you operate on or tell them exactly, or tell them exactly that they're not going to all get cured. Right, right. There, there, there is no definitive cure for chronic groin pain following hernia surgery. Okay, well, that's very good for everyone out there, all of our listeners, to know that. Um, and I know that uh, you've said um, in other interviews that patients should educate themselves before having this implanted. Um, unfortunately, the people that are our clients, um, they obviously have the mesh, and by the time they come to us, they've already had such severe complications. What would be your advice to people who are looking to get hernia mesh or have a hernia and are looking for hernia repair when they go and consult with their doctors? Okay, well, the, first, the, the, the gold standard of hernia repair is the recurrence rate. Okay. Um, in my opinion, that has gone. It, people measured the success of hernias by how many came back afterwards. If you had a low recurrence rate, you must have been a great surgeon. If you had a high one, you weren't such a good surgeon. However, the chronic pain incidence runs, I think, acceptable rates, 10 to 15% of people. When you have when you have ten percent ten percent of people having the possibility of chronic pain afterwards, mm-hmm. and you have a recurrence rate of somewhere between one and two percent, mm-hmm. whereas without mesh, you might if uh, people check the 
results from Shouldice Hospital in Toronto, for instance, where they don't use mesh, they have a recurrence rate similar to the people with mesh, and they do not use mesh at all. So their incidence of chronic pain is much lower. So any patient should ask their surgeon, what are my chances of having chronic pain after mesh is put in? And what are my chances of getting another hernia if a mesh is not used? And they'll find that the answer should be that the incidence of of pure tissue repair has a slightly higher incidence of recurrence rate, but still a much lower incidence of chronic pain. So it may be worth people's while to think about having no mesh put in, Mm -hmm. depending on the type of hernia. Some hernias require mesh, not sutures. Other hernias can be fixed with sutures and no mesh. Can you give an example of a type of hernia that um, actually does require mesh, like a hernia repair that does? Incisional hernias in the abdomen require mesh. I see. Okay. A femoral hernia in in the groin requires mesh. Okay. Some direct inguinal hernias require mesh, and smaller indirect inguinal hernias do not require mesh. They can be fixed with the pure tissue repair and Mm. still end up with a very low recurrence rate. Oh, okay. And I recently reported, I recently presented a, a series of 860 women oh. that had no mesh put in for indirect inguinal hernias, and they had an incident that they had a recurrence rate of less, of less than 2%. Oh, my goodness. Wow. What a great story. With no mesh at all. Oh, goodness. Oh, and good uh, th- this is by far the best way to go for an indirect inguinal hernia, which is by far the commonest type of hernia in the groin. Oh, I see. Okay, that's very good information to know. Um, and then one of my last questions for you, I did recently watch um, an interview with you on CTV News where you talked about hernia repairs and you said that um, the hernia mesh problems that we're seeing have become to, have risen to the level of an epidemic. Um, what do you, why do you think that it's risen to that level, that it's become such a because, problem? Because if you look at now the, the so-called international guidelines, for hernia repair that were introduced by the European Hernia Society in conjunction with the American Hernia Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're in the process of being published. They recommend mesh be used in every hernia repair. Oh, I see. Uh, now, that is the, that, they're the recommend, recommendations from the hernia societies, European and American, mm-hmm. that you use mesh in everybody. They make no difference uh, between one type of hernia and another. Mesh is used in them all. Right. And I think that that is overkill. I think that you tailor the operation to the patient's problem, mm-hmm. not a cookie-cutter um, solution to everything. You've got to use the head. You've got to discuss it with the patient, and you've got to get permission. And you have to have the patient with informed consent. Right, absolutely. Before you do anything or implant anything, and the patient has to be given the correct figures. Mm-hmm. And then the patient chooses what they wish to do. Right, which is what we just talked about just a little bit ago, about how there are types of hernias that require mesh, and there are, there are types that don't require mesh at all. So well, to have a blanket know, statement we, of every... That's thing. right. The mm-hmm. blanket statement, I think, is wrong. The blanket recommendation, I think, is incorrect. Okay. And I think some of these societies are beginning to realize that maybe it's it's not correct. I'll give you an example. Okay. In women, they recommend that laparoscopic hernia laparoscopic be laparoscopic repair be carried out on all women with mesh mm-hmm. for an inguinal hernia. 
And I think that's blatantly wrong. Okay. Because I see. mesh mm-hmm. and women do not seem to do very well, as you probably know from all the vaginal meshes and the bladder meshes that yes. have been put in and sued. I was just thinking of transvaginal mesh and bladder slings. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, my opinion is that the vast majority of inguinal hernias in women can be repaired quite adequately with no mesh at all. 70% of them are indirect inguinal hernias when they're just sewn up and the sack dealt with they're left with a less than 2% recurrence rate. Right, which is just what your study just showed, the one that um, we talked about recently. Well, Dr. Morrison, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you answering all of our questions. Um, And again, yes, thank you so much and have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.